RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather podcast. As you can see, we are still here in Lawfather Studios, right here in Lawfather headquarters. Thank you all who are joining us live on TikTok. So those of you who are uh, going to be catching this on YouTube later or listening to it on uh, the podcast stations, you can catch us live on TikTok as we do it. You can see my bright, bright smiley face and my bright yellow wall behind me. And uh, maybe one day we'll turn the camera around on Jason, um, who I know loves just sitting in here and listening to uh, me talk about the world of the legal realm. But, uh, you know, as we jump into this, big shout out and thank you to Radio Influence starting another year with them. And uh, so, Jason, thank you very much. And those of you listening, go check out the other Radio Influence shows. A bunch of good guys and girls on there. Um, maybe actually, Jason, maybe we can work out getting some of the people from some of the other shows on uh, during this year, this year. All right. Got the big thumbs up on that. They're actually professional radio people, and uh, I just play one on TV and TikTok. So it's my TikTok dance is uh, podcasting. Anyway, here we go. Let's uh, let's talk about a few things. Those of you who have seen some of our social media today saw the Antonio Brown meme that, that we went ahead and put up there on Instagram. You know, all jokes aside, take take it as as an opportunity. And uh, you know, I, I had uh, ran into a deputy that I had worked with, one of my supervisors, over the weekend. Here, this is uh, we do this on a Monday. It's January third. Those of you keeping track, and uh, you know, there was a deputy that we had worked with that um, had been going through some things and decided to take his own life. And you know, we have that. And then the next day, right after that, actually two days after that, Antonio Brown, not to the same severity level, but clearly something going on there. All right. So use it as an opportunity and a, and a wake up call. Those of you who know somebody that needs help, be there for that person. Okay. Uh, those of you who know me, uh, I'm always here for you. So, um, you know, reach out those, those deputies and law enforcement that are, are here listening. And, uh, you know, anybody else that knows me personally, if you ever need anything, just know that I'm here for you. All right. And, uh, reach me, reach out to me anytime. Uh, if you can't, if you don't have my cell phone number anymore, just call me at the office. They know how to grab me. They know how to reach me. They can walk back to my office, uh, whatever else the case may be. So that is the mental health plug from the law father today, but let's jump into, uh, some legal aspects and some legal things. And this is, this is really an interesting one. And it made a lot of headlines and a lot on the news, which was, this this truck crash in Lakewood, Colorado. Okay, Lakewood, Colorado is in the mountains of Colorado. This crash happened in 2019. Now, why did this seemingly I'll call it a mundane crash? But it, it was kind of the furthest furthest thing from mundane. But why did this car crash, right, or this truck crash, make national headlines? How many times have you heard and? a truck crash or any kind of car accident making national, <clears throat> excuse me, national headlines, uh, rig rugs, uh, Henry rugs, but that was only because he played football for the Raiders. Okay. I can't really think of another really run of the mill, if you will, car crash or a truck ca- crash, any kind of car related or, or any, any automobile type related crash that has garnered so much national attention. Uh, I would say the Henry Ruggs crash didn't even garner 
as much national attention as this Colorado case. And here's where it's different, right? There's a huge, huge difference in the way this thing turns out because it went from being civil, right? Civil law, which we talk about a lot. We talk about civil law, which is essentially just the opposite of criminal law for lack of a better way to describe it. You have criminal law and you have civil law. Uh, Anything that's not criminal is civil. So family law, for example, falls under the overarching civil umbrella. Um, Anything with real estate falls under the overarching civil umbrella. Car crashes fall under the overarching civil umbrella. Sometimes some of those things can cross over, right? And have some aspects of criminal and some aspects of civil. That's just how it is. But for the most part, it is pretty clear cut. And when it's criminal, it is clearly criminal. And you can look at it and see it and know just as a regular person, whether it's criminal or civil. This one you really can't. And it it took me a little bit to kind of wrap my head around how we get there. And I actually had to think about some different case law that I've seen over the years to go, how did we get to making this criminal, right? So let's look at where lines can be blurred in a car crash case between the, the civil and criminal first, all right? First off is we have car crashes, run of the mill car crashes, you were in somebody, it is civil all day long. The only compensation for it is money. That is our system. That's how it works. Whether you like it or not, think it's great, think it's terrible. Not really the the concept of what we're talking about today. It's just what we have, right? So it is civil. Now, where that line can become blurred is, let's say that person who, who caused the crash was drunk, okay? Or let's say they were racing, right? Now, all of a sudden, you've taken this civil aspect of a crash and turned parts of it criminal because that person did something that violated criminal statutes, okay? So that said, that's kind of the the breakdown of it. So what do we have here? Let's set the stage of how this happens, and then let's, let's talk about how we get to a car accident case becoming civil. And I think those of us in Tampa... You know, and, and it didn't really come to mind as I was doing a little bit of prep work for the show. And amazingly, yes, I actually do uh, do some prep work for this show. I know other guys who have shows and they just show up and can go right off top of their head. Um, <laughs> I sometimes have to look these things up, but it, it does kind of bring to mind there was the Bayshore Boulevard crash in Tampa. This is, you know, kind of becomes kind of Tampa centric for the moment, but there's, there's a street Bayshore Boulevard. It's along the Bay shore, um, Bayshore Boulevard. I got real creative with the name there. Uh, grass meeting in the middle. I think it's two lanes, maybe three lanes, uh, in spots going each way. All right. Lot, a lot, a lot of pedestrian traffic on, on each side. And there were two people who were racing and a mom and her child were crossing the street crash happened. That one also took from a a civil side, right? So if that car is just driving down the street, it's civil, right? Look, even even if the end result is the most egregious thing you could ever think of, right? If someone is is really truly just following the speed limit, driving down the street, and and just doesn't pay attention for a moment and hits somebody and, and you know, no matter how bad the end result is, it's still civil. It doesn't necessarily make it criminal, okay? But what things can make it criminal, 
right? And what things can result in a car accident case or in, in Colorado case, a truck accident, getting somebody 110 years in prison. Think about that for a second. 110 years, okay? That's a ton. That That's that's a lot. Um, that's actually, and I'm trying to remember the, the show that we had done um, in the past that we were talking about uh, some of the sentencing, but I, I want to say, uh, oh, it was Henry Ruggs. It was Henry Ruggs, and we were talking about, it was like 10 or 30 years, something along those lines. And so one of the things we're, let's look at too is what role a prosecutor plays in all of that because the amount of years is a direct result of the amount of charges somebody is charged with. All right. So that's a long introduction into here's what happened. Okay. And like I said, this was 2019 I-70 in Colorado through the mountains. Those of you who have ever driven on a mountain highway, Okay, I went to school in Western Carolina, which is in the mountains. I went there for a year and a half before realizing that their uh, grass was actually greener on the other side. Turns out that that saying is true. Okay, the grass is far greener in Tampa than it is in Cullowhee, North Carolina. All right, love all my teammates from Cullowhee, North Carolina. Couldn't stand Cullowhee, North Carolina. Okay, but anyway, you come down the mountains, I forty coming out of the mountains, and I remember because I. I had my buddy Chris Davis and I were driving. I was he lived in Goldsboro and my parents had moved to Raleigh and we were driving. I never driven on I forty before. Grew up in New Jersey. There's not a whole lot of mountains in New Jersey, it turns out. There's about as many mountains in Jersey as there are in Florida. We're going through and it's you have downhill and you have turns and these sharp turns and, and we actually missed one of the turns and, and luckily we were the only car on the road because when we missed the turn, we just went straight through it and luckily able to stop the car before we hit the concrete barrier, but not, not really the point of the story. As you're coming down the mountains, you'll see these runoffs, right? And it's literally just a big wide sand pit, right? And it kind of goes, they really construct these things to actually go uphill. So you're going downhill and they've built these things that go uphill, right? And the concept behind it is when a truck loses its brakes or something happens with the truck and a truck is unable to stop, because remember, you're going downhill and you're turning, usually at the same time, okay? They, they don't want to bring you straight down the mountain, right? They want to kind of circle you around the mountain. That's, that's kind of the concept, okay? Well, when those trucks lose control, they can pull off into those sand pits, which slow the truck down and stop it. And like I said, it's a little uphill. I can't imagine what, what that's like. It's probably pretty jarring, Um I, quite frankly, have no ambitions to drive a semi-truck nor drive it through the mountains. So I probably will never know what that's like. But anyway, I-70 in Colorado and through the mountains is set up really similar, right? They have, And I've, those of you who have been to Colorado, you, you've seen these same things that I described. They have these runaway truck areas where you just pull off to the right. And it sounds simple. I don't know. Maybe it is as simple as what it looks. I don't know. Okay. And I suppose a car could use it too. And if you're not paying attention, you don't know how to drive through the mountains. Okay. Just know, don't ride the brake. That's, you can downshift. Even if you have an automatic downshift and it'll help, the engine will help brake and don't, don't ride those brakes because at the end of the day, you burn those brakes up. There's nothing stopping you. Now that's, I don't believe that's what happened in this case, but anyway, here we go. There is a crash on I-70 Okay, separate from this truck crash. So way back 
before this other crash, before the before the truck crash happens, there's a crash that happens in front. Truck, all the traffic then slows down and stops. Those of you who are in Tampa, hey, you know, if there's a crash on 275, good God, you you might as well plan on just waiting until the next morning to take 275 anywhere, right? Well, Colorado, may, maybe not quite as bad, but traffic slowed down, came to a stop because of a crash in front. Well, this truck is running through, and he's doing about 80 miles an hour, okay? He's on a highway, but I believe that the speed limit in that area was uh, in the neighborhood of 40, 45 miles an hour, okay? So, yes, the truck is speeding as it's coming through, okay? Now, this the first crash happens, and I don't know if it's at the bottom of a hill, right, or a bottom of the mountain, but... It's at some levels of where a decline of these cars are coming down. So this truck is coming through, and he's speeding. And yes, he's speeding. I think that's going to become a key part, but then let's break this down. His brakes go out, okay? So now he's going down the mountain in a tractor trailer hauling lumber. Lumber is pretty dense, okay? So it's, it's pretty heavy. And trucks take a long time to stop anyway, so he's coming down the mountain, gaining speed, gaining speed, and is up over 100 miles an hour before the crash, okay? Now, look, he wasn't necessarily trying to go 100 miles an hour. There's nothing that, that I was able to uncover that says he had his foot on the accelerator from 80 to 100, but you take lumber, throw it on the back of a truck, and run down a mountain, yeah, you're going to get there, okay? It, it's it, You're going to get up there in speed. Now, the key is, okay, after he's lost his brakes, there's one of these runaway truck ramps, which he bypasses. Maybe he's hoping that the brakes somehow come back. I don't know, right? Bypasses that. Sees an exit. Bypasses that. You know, and, and, and as I was reading it, it, some of the things kind of condemned this guy for bypassing an exit. But think about it for a second, right? There's a lot of slower traffic off of an exit right? There's traffic lights, there's intersections. It probably wouldn't have been the best move to get off an exit if, if you are, you know, 100 plus because you're coming down the mountain with no brakes, okay? Uh, he actually passed four exits, so, um, but still, I'm not really sure that that's the best way to go. Now, he did come over into the shoulder, right, to try to avoid cars as he was coming down trying to stop. However, there was another truck that had been disabled, and that truck was in the, in the shoulder, so he moves back over to avoid hitting the truck. Well, chain of events after all of that, okay, ends up hitting hitting a couple cars, okay, tried to avoid him, at least per his own words or at least uh, what I was able to find and whether it came from him personally or his attorney, tried to avoid it and ended up hitting some cars, resulted in a massive fire. Fire just destroyed the truck, destroyed, shut down both sides of the interstate, Four people died in the crash, and there were several other people injured as a result of the crash. Okay. Bad, 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 bad crash. All right. There is no dispute in that whatsoever. Okay. But is it criminal? And that's that's the point to look at here. Is that criminal what he did? Now, let's look at some things in Florida, but let's look at what happened, right? So, went to trial had some 40 counts of assault and uh, vehicular homicide. Long story short, he's convicted on all counts, 
and there is what's called mandatory minimum sentencing and there's statutory guidelines for sentencing as well and judges can't step outside for the most part depending uh, let me just take a step back for the depending on how the sentencing is worded okay a judge might have discretion meaning that they can go up or down from what the guidelines say if it's a guideline the judge can go up and down from it if it's statutory meaning this crime carries a penalty punishable with you know punishable for 25 years in prison okay just made that up that as we go through the judge can't depart from that the judge can't go well you're a nice guy you really didn't mean it so i'm going to bump it up or i'm going to excuse me i'm going to bump it down right and i'm going to give you less time or you're a really really bad guy so i'm going to give you more time what the judge has come out and said is my hands were tied i had to do these the sentencing as consecutive, meaning that when one ended, the next one began, right? That's how you stacked up 110 years on a single person, which is effectively a life sentence because, well, when we have somebody, I think this guy's in his 20s. So when we have somebody who can live to 130, I suppose a uh, 110-year sentence will no longer be a life sentence. But for all intents and purposes, a life sentence for a car crash. And, and look, I know... Some of the the families of the victims have come out and and just blasted what I'm about to explain next because they're like, hey, this is just bad. But look, I get it, okay? But it doesn't make it criminal. It doesn't mean somebody should spend 110 years in prison as a result. I would actually kind of argue, okay, that minimal or no prison time is the, the better scenario for this particular case okay and cases really very similar to it but what has happened is is in the meantime the prosecution has filed motions to get the sentence reduced they were asking for 20 to 30 years and before that could happen the governor came in and granted clemency and said basically hey you know you need to answer for what you did Okay, because what you did wasn't 100% right. So you need some time to reflect on it. You need to make some changes and reduce the sentence from 110 years to 10 years. Okay, signed, sealed, delivered, done deal. Uh, no one's going to change that. It is signed by the governor. Okay, so that is, that's where we are. Now, let's look at what vehicular homicide is. And let's look at the Florida Florida definition of it. I'm going to assume that Colorado's definition is not all that different, but we are here in Florida and I am a Florida attorney. And, uh, well, I don't want anybody calling me from the Florida bar or the Colorado bar saying that I am, uh, breaking down Colorado law and, um, violating bar rules. So we're going to look at it from the Florida perspective and, uh, it may or may not be similar to Colorado's laws, but Hey, vehicle homicide, is what he was charged with. So we're going to make an assumption that it's, it's probably close. It gets us in the ballpark, if you will. In Florida, vehicular homicide is the killing of a human being or the killing of an unborn child by any injury to the mother caused by the operation of a motor vehicle by another in a reckless manner likely to cause the death of or great bodily, bodily harm to another. Okay? It is a pretty generic definition that Florida uses. Okay, and, and I would expect that most of the states have a really similar uh, reading of it. Now, I would say where you're likely to find 
some major differences and it's either yes or no, right? There's only two ways this can go. Um, is the unborn child part of it. Florida statute actually is a little bit all over the place in what they consider a person. Okay. So in vehicular homicide, an unborn child is considered a person and you can be convicted of killing that unborn child just as the same as a, a living, breathing person. Okay. I don't, I don't want to step on any toes in, in what people's beliefs are as to whether or not unborn children are people. Okay. Not my point. Point being is that the vehicular homicide statute really doesn't different. They actually go out of their way to say person or unborn child, meaning that the unborn child has the same status as a person who is not, who has been born. How about that? Okay. But there are other parts in Florida statute more specifically on the civil side of it, because I've done this, I've tried to do this before, right? Is argue that the unborn child was a person and therefore the parent was entitled to compensation because of the death of the unborn child as a result of the crash. Okay. There is not one bit of case law. And I, luckily we uh, were able to make some magic happen on that case, but there was not one bit of case law that supported that argument, which meant that on the civil side of it, Florida law says, Hey, an unborn child is not a person doesn't have the same rights as, as a person as a born person does criminal statutes. On the other hand, say that the unborn child has the same rights as the person who has been born. And we got way off on a tangent. Okay. So <laughs> way off where we're going with this thing, but that is what vehicular homicide is. But let's look at some other pieces to it because you can't look at the whole thing in a vacuum, right? So let's look at what we know about the law and what we know about factors in speeding, right? And, and let's try to draw some analogies. Let's look at DUI is, is the great example because it's really common. Unfortunately, it's a common thing. Okay. DUI, but there's plenty of case law on it. And, and you know, we, we can draw some inferences because DUI is clearly criminal. And when there's a crash, there are some really specific things that come up with that. And what that is, is our damages on the civil side. They're what's called compensatory, meaning that um, I was injured. I had to pay medical bills and I am entitled to pain and suffering amongst other things. Okay. And I should be compensated for my injuries. That's what that means. Okay. Those are compensatory damages. Now, when there's another aspect to it, for example, a DUI, right? You can also add in what's called punitive damages. Punitive damages, kind of what the name almost sounds like, they're meant to punish, okay? They are meant to punish somebody for doing something wrong, okay? That's what punitive damages are. And if you have a crash and you have DUI in it, then you actually are entitled to punitive damages. Now, court has to add it in, but um, the mechanics of it are not important. You're generally entitled to punitive damages. Now, do you know when you're not entitled to punitive damages? Solely based on speed. Yeah. You could do 100 miles an hour and look, you can find ways around all of these things. Okay. But let's, let's use a more reasonable example. Let's say the speed limit's 70 and you're doing 80. Okay. And that's the only factor. The only factor involved in the crash is that you were doing 80 instead of 70. Okay. 
you cannot add punitive damages in Florida. The case law will not allow it. You have to stack that with other things. Now, where I've stacked that with in the past has been none other than our lovely tractor trailers. Okay? Look, tractor trailers, um, they the the damages from tractor trailers are huge, right? They're big, heavy vehicles, and they're generally moving pretty fast, especially on the highway, right? But you can start stacking pieces together and go, the speed plus the amount of load that the truck had on it at the time, plus the conditions of the roadway at the time, plus the fact that the road had a curve in it, or in the Colorado case, that it was a downhill, okay? You can stack all of those pieces on, and now you're going, hey, it's not just speed. It is speed plus the conditions at the time, plus the amount of load that that truck is carrying, because remember, a tractor trailer is designed to carry heavy loads, right? So, you know, if a tractor trailer doesn't have anything in it, changes the dynamics of it greatly, right? And, and actually a tractor trailer with nothing in the back actually should drive slower and more carefully than a tractor trailer with a load on it, like the Colorado truck, okay? So just something to keep in mind. And uh, just, it has to do with physics. And I am definitely not a physics guy because physics has math. And I use my Apple calculator so I can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Beyond that, no clue. I'm going to ask somebody. I'm probably going to ask my sister who teaches math um, because, well, she's good at math. But anyway, that's what you would need to prove punitive damages. Criminal is just above punitive damages, right? It's far more severe. And to think that you can have a case where you make, look, this was a boneheaded decision by this guy. It just was. He was speeding. Yes. Does he deserve to spend the rest of his life in prison because he was speeding? No, he doesn't. Okay. He wasn't racing anybody. And, and I would say that racing somebody, look, thinking about the uh, Bayshore Boulevard crash a couple years ago here in Tampa, two cars racing on the road, far worse than someone who, and I would I'll say simply, but you know, simply speeding, right? No other factors involved. Okay. And yes, the guy was speeding. The the, the speed limit was in the 40s, 40, 45, and he had been doing 80 before before the brakes went out. But definitely not a life sentence, not in my opinion, right? Not, not in any kind of legal breakdown that I have ever seen, read, case law that I've seen or read or heard. Um, can I wrap my head around that being the cause? Should he do 110 years? Should he do 10 years in prison, which is, do, which is what he's up for now? Because he didn't take the runaway truck ramp? Should that be a part of it? The fact that the truck got up to over 100 miles an hour before the crash because it was going downhill? Should that should that be why he gets 10 years, right? Or is it solely that before the brakes failed, he had been doing uh, 80 plus, okay? And, and look, I know one of the victim's family came out and said, hey, we got to hold these truck drivers accountable. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I am. There are some bad truck drivers out there, okay? Look, we get the video of it. We get it. We have a truck crash. One of the first things we're asking for is that dash cam. 
Now, they won't give it to us until a court makes them, right? But that dash cam generally points out to what's going on the road, points back to the driver. We can sometimes get a really, really great view of what's going on. And usually, it's not anything good, okay? Um, But at the same time, I've had ones that were kind of questionable, right? Where they've given us a dash cam and we go, oh, okay, yeah, um, the truck actually did nothing wrong. Okay. Um, it happens, right? But what of the what out of those things caused this guy to ten years, ten years in prison for making a stupid move, right? The same type of charges as if uh, 110 years, you could I mean, essentially from a sentencing standpoint, you could pre premeditated go kill somebody. Right, you could plan it out, chart it out, come up with a game plan, write it all down in your little diary and journal, and go carry it out. Same sentence, essentially, right? Because what's the difference between a 110 year sentence and a life sentence? Yeah, when we talk about parole and release, there are differences, but for all intents and purposes, there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference. But that said, you know, to me, maybe a little overreaching by the state here with the amount of charges that they stacked on this guy. Okay. Where do you draw the line though? How do you break those up? I don't know. Right. You got all these people that are hurt. You got four people that have been killed and do you not stack four for vehicular homicide charges? Do you just use one? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the scenario turns out different if they only do one. Right. Um, You know, maybe the guy ends up with more years than the 10 that he has now. Right, because there was such public outrage uh, for for this because of it. It was a car crash. It was your garden variety, with the exception of the result. Right, the end result, notwithstanding, it was your garden variety car crash. And also keep in mind those of you probably thinking, hey, maybe the guy was on drugs. Maybe he was drinking. No signs whatsoever of drinking or drug use. Okay. This was simply just somebody being negligent. Somebody, somebody being negligent. Okay, he was negligent in his actions, and as a result, people were hurt. That's what our civil courts are for. To me, overreaching on the criminal side to go, this is a criminal case, and this guy needs to go to prison. Does he need to learn a lesson? Absolutely. Should he drive like that? Absolutely not. That is why we have personal injury lawyers, right? Um, the strong arm of the law in Colorado. Those of you in Colorado, I got a buddy who lives out there and he loves strong arm of the law. Yeah. Any, any of you who go skiing out there, you'll see he's like the Morgan, Morgan and Morgan of uh, Colorado. Strong arm of the law. Frank Azar. Call me. Right. And then there's a guy that runs a commercial right after him that really bashes on the strong arm of the law. But anyway, um, that is where something like this lies. It is civil, Right guy will probably never drive a truck again gets out of say he never went to prison okay i can't imagine anyone's going to hire him to drive a truck all right also one one really important point that i forgot that i want to mention okay most of these guys that drive trucks a lot of them don't own their trucks this truck was owned by a trucking company this trucking company had i want to say around 30 plus violations 30 plus safety violations or some some large number of safety violations on their trucks. This truck's brakes failed. Okay. So 
is it fair for the driver to to get all of the blame for this and go to prison? Or does the company need to be held responsible? And who holds companies responsible for something like this? Certainly not the criminal lawyers. It's us uh, plaintiff injury lawyers, okay? Always holding companies accountable for their actions and their drivers accountable for their actions as well, okay? So that is uh, that portion of the show for the day. And uh, normally we get into listener questions, but I want to change it up a little bit, all right? We talked a lot about a truck and truck crashes or at least one particular truck crash. I want to take a couple minutes and just go over tips for driving on roads with trucks with the law father. Okay. Anyway, so think about this and and here's your first tip for driving on a road with a, with a truck is pass them on the left side. Okay. And as a general rule, you're supposed to pass on the left. Here's the thing. If you pass them on the left, that's where they have less of a blind spot. Okay. They have a bigger blind spot on the right. So pass on the left. It's a safer way to go. All right. Um, just how it is. They, they have a big, big tractor trailer behind them. Okay. Another tip for, you know, kind of surviving with trucks is don't get too close to the back of the truck. There's a, there's kind of a, a triangle that comes out from the mirrors. And if you're too close to the back of the truck, the truck can't see you. All right. Another tip to keep in mind when you are going through and are driving on the road with trucks is say you're on a three lane road and you're in the left lane, truck is in the middle lane, okay? Get some distance ahead of that truck before you change lanes into that middle lane. Two reasons. One, trucks don't stop very fast, right? We talked about it. The There's a lot of, of weight, right? And the more weight that you have, the longer it takes for a vehicle to stop. Number two, if there is somebody in that right lane, right? So you're in the left lane, trucks in the middle lane, somebody coming up on that right lane. If you cut in too closely to the front of that truck, you won't see that person coming up in the right lane who was also changing lanes at the same time. But if you put some distance out in front of the truck, okay, you'll be able to see and make sure that there's nobody coming from the right side. Okay. Always, always, always pay attention to your surroundings. That's the best thing that you can do. Right here from Lawfather Headquarters, Lawfather Podcast. Make sure you check us out on all of our socials. Lawfather out. Lawfather out.